Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, Conversations About Impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Ken LaRoe, founder of First Green Bank, the first bank in the United States with an environmental focus. Ken began the bank with a clear vision to do banking differently in a way that was socially and environmentally responsible without sacrificing profit. Under Ken's leadership as the chairman and CEO of both First Green Bank and the holding company, First Green Bank Corp., the bank grew to over $825 million in assets with seven locations across Florida. The bank's financial performance ranked in the top 10% of all banks in Florida while operating with a deep impact philosophy. Ken successfully sold the bank in October 2018. Thanks for joining me, Ken. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so delighted to have you here. Thank you for for having me on your podcast. Well, your career kind of took an unusual turn. You were a lawyer and then uh, I I guess what I would call a conventional banker. And then you started First Green Bank. And that came out of a really out of a book you read, I understand. So um, I'm really curious about how that all transpired. How did you make that that shift? And tell us a bit about what made First Green Bank different. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, the, I had started a bank in 99 um, called Florida Choice Bank and, and sold it in 2006 and had the, the uh, non-compete. And fortunately, I had a change of control provision in my non-compete that if the bank that bought me sold, then I was out of my non-compete. So um, we, uh, I stayed on just a, a little while. They asked me to stay on with the transition, and then I left. My wife and I bought a little mini motorhome, and we uh, did a cross-country trip. We put had a little trailer on the back with our bikes and fishing gear, and and drove the entire country, which I think is a something every American should have the opportunity to do. Um, but before I left, my brother gave me Yvonne Chouinard's autobiography. And Yvonne Chouinard, for anybody that doesn't know, was the founder of uh, Patagonia, which we've all become to know as a clothing company. He started as a as a making uh, rock climbing um, stuff, and the uh, the book inspired me that I needed to do something much more than just make a bunch of people a bunch of money. And, and I hadn't, and, and, and thinking it through, I thought, well, I've got to do what I know and that's banking. And I've never heard of a bank that, that does that. And that was, that was in 2007. And a lot of the impact SRI, um, all of the values based um, methods of doing business and, Investing was really pretty much in its infancy, uh, except for some pioneers like Yvonne Chouinard. And so I just Googled green banks and, and I found 
um, new resource in San Francisco and picked up the phone and called the CEO and said, Hey, what's your gig? What makes you different? And then that was the start of my journey, basically. Wow. That's great. Well, uh, Green Bank, First Green Bank's bank was described as a, a local bank with a global mission. And it uh, was the first bank in the eastern U.S. with environmental and social mission. So what was the environmental and social mission of the bank? Well, it was, a, it was truly an evolutionary process because I didn't know what I didn't know. And um, so it's kind of that whole thing of getting immersed in um, space that you that you didn't even know existed and I my gig is is environmental issues um, I used to call myself a, a rabid environmentalist that that ticked off some of my conservative customers because they were envisioning an earth firster or something spiking trees which you know I, I don't probably disagree with but um, that's another topic um, now I just call myself an earth advocate so I was I just sat down and thought well what can a bank do that can impact um, the you know positivity for the planet and um, I came up with this concept that we give an interest rate discount to anyone who did a, a sustainable project well that was in oh um, nine so of course nobody was building anything, nobody was doing anything, so that didn't work. And then I thought, well, let's do a solar, uh, you know, photovoltaic solar power loan program. Um, and we kicked that off and again, nobody was doing anything, nobody had any money, they were lucky to have a job. And so we just kept tweaking that program till it became the best solar loan finance program in the country, quite frankly. And and by the end, before we sold, we were doing a significant volume in that. But um, I'm, I'm, And the branches themselves were solar-powered as well, right? Yes. Um, yes, all of them that, that we could do that on. We had one that was leased in, in Fort Lauderdale that we couldn't do it, but we were getting ready to build a new net-zero building in Fort Lauderdale. Um, but, but that was just that was the start of what again was a journey and and the journey really got legs and um, got clarity when we joined the global alliance for banking on values and i think 2012 and then um, i was asked to join the board in 2014 which i did for two years which was an amazing experience but uh, there's a saying that travel is the um, antidote for a closed mind and and the being exposed to these CEOs from around the world that were doing amazing things was truly transformational for me. Well, um, it's great to hear that you can be so affected by first a book and uh, Patagonia's path itself is, is really inspiring because they've done a lot of impactful things uh, over the years too. So, um, and, and First Green Bank, I mean, you went on to be, uh, you won, you won many awards, including Top 100 Best Places to Work and Top 100 Companies for Working Families. How did you develop the kind of culture that makes made it such a great place to work? What does it take to do that? It's not easy, especially if you're in the impact space, especially if you're in Central Florida. Um, you know, we're not known as a, a place that's very progressive <laughs> at all. Um, <laughs> and the, it, it starts turning into an issue of who do you hire? Who, 
you know, do you hire somebody that's just a good banker, but doesn't know, care, or maybe even is hostile to your mission or your mission statement or your very ethos? And we've had, we've had plenty of experiences with that. I, I had a, a senior executive walk in my office one morning, unannounced, total surprise to me. He wouldn't even sit. I, I said, have a seat. He said, no, I, I'm not going to be here that long. He said, I'm, I quit effective today. I don't like your politics and, and I'm not going to put up with it anymore. This was an executive wow. vice president. Um, so you've got that part of the culture. You get a couple of those people. <laughs> we call them the brotherhood of the miserable. And they can, <laughs> they can wreck your whole culture in a very, very short period of time. Um, yeah, absolutely. Especially such a senior person. Yeah. And so um, it, it's a real balancing act. And, and I, just, I just decided that I wanted to make it the best place to work. And, and what would that take? And, of course, there's the financial inducements, uh, good pay. Uh, we match dollar for dollar um, in a 401k from the day uh, a coworker started. Um, we had a sabbatical program. You could take up the six weeks off um, to do anything you wanted if you wanted to drive cross country. And that's what made, gave me the idea for that. So it was just all of those kind of things. Stop me if I'm rambling too. So cause I'll, I'll tell no. you to start doing that. No, no. <laughs> Not at all. I mean, I think these specifics are actually really helpful because there's been a lot of research that, financial inducements don't actually affect the culture or it doesn't help to retain people very well. But uh, you're saying it's, it was part of a larger uh, initiative of, of doing various things that really help people feel like they had some freedom in their work, some latitude. Was that the, the thinking behind it? I mean, tell us a little more about what, what your thinking behind it was oh, behind oh, the different programs. Yeah. A lot of it was that, but in, and I've read a lot of those studies that financial inducements, you know, A, don't work, B, don't work very well or whatever. And there's a lot of truth to that. I think the financial inducements will keep the brotherhood of the miserable because <laughs> those people, you know, frequently can't get jobs anywhere else. And, and they, they're, all they're doing is collecting a paycheck, right? They're not, they're not there for the greater good or they're not there even for their own greater good. So, so they can, I guess, financial inducements can actually backfire by inducing the wrong people to stay. Um, but we tried to make it part of a, a larger picture, but I still wanted my, my people to be the best paid people in the industry. Um, and we tried really hard to only have A players. So that means, well, what if you're a B or a B plus player? Am I doomed? Well, no, we want to graduate you up. That's another part of the whole thing is we want everybody to succeed. But if you're a C player, you, you, you need to be dusting off your resume because whatever it takes, we're getting rid of you. Um, and and that, that was part of the culture also that everybody knew that you had to perform. And then if you didn't, you were gone. So there's, you know, I don't know. I don't know the psychology. There's that. Is it a carrot or a stick? Um, I don't know. I don't think I answered your question either. 
Yeah, that's okay. I mean, I, I, you're obviously, you obviously did a lot of things right because they, um, uh, I mean, to be recognized in that way is, is clearly an indication that something's going really well within the bank. So uh, I'm curious about something you touched on, and that is this idea of, um, you know, do you hire for alignment with the mission or do you kind of, uh, I mean, the opposite end of that is that you hire for expertise and, and hopefully bring people along in the mission. How, how was that to manage? Um, and, and did you make a conscious decision that way about whether you hired from, for alignment with the mission? Um, great, great question. And I don't think we ever got to the point where, where we had made a conscious decision because we were still trying to determine the path. Um, and to put in a plug for my good friend, Vince Ceciliano, he's the retired CEO of New Resource Bank in San Francisco. He came to the conclusion that he had to hire for mission. And if it if it meant hiring somebody that wasn't quite there in their banking skills, that he would bring them along, but he was in San Francisco. Um, and actually his bank would only do business with people that were values aligned. If I did that in central Florida, I'd go broke. But <laughs> so I, I decided, yeah, that's gotta be the way to do it. So we, we pivoted to that approach and we couldn't hire anybody. So then it was back to, okay, we're going to hire for skill sets in the banking industry. And then, um, and then try to bring them along on the value side. And, you know, to some extent, I, I think it, it works, but it's a long game. It's a, it's a real long game. And then if somebody is anathema to your values proposition, they're going to self-select out probably mm -hmm. sooner than later anyway, because they're, they're not going to, they're not going to, I guess, put, put up for the quote, they're not going to put up with the, you know, the political alignment that I have or the political activism that I have. And I'm very vocal about it. And, and mm -hmm. I don't, and I call people out. We, we had a policy of no, no junk food in the bank. You could not, you, well, you could not use bank funds to buy bad food. So no mm -hmm. birthday parties and somebody goes out and buys a public sheet cake. Um, if you want a cake, you go to Whole Foods, you get one that's organic. And so it was a, you know, it was a big laughing stock and people, you know, was there, are you kidding me? Are you serious? Really? We can't do that. And, and I'd, I'd call them out in the staff meeting. No, you cannot do that. And if somebody brought in McDonald's or Chick-fil-A and, and for lunch, I'd call them out on it and say, you know, are you, are you really going to eat that crap? And so where was I going with all this? Um, so we that, were talking that, about the, yeah. the hiring, with, yeah, hiring with, with values yeah. or whatever. But the other side mm -hmm. of that is we started a living wage program and we did research for Central Florida and the Department of Labor said that it was, you know, $29,300 for, for a living wage in Central Florida. So I said, well, let's round it to 30000 and that's our minimum that we pay anybody. And this was in the, you know, era or in a time, this was in twenty. 14, a high paid teller was making $22,000 a year. So yeah, they were radical. looking at, yeah, they were looking at a big, big pay, pay bump. When we implemented that, that was probably the most enjoyable and fulfilling thing that, 
that I was ever a part of. And um, when I rolled it out in the staff meeting, the staff looked at me like I had antlers. They didn't, they could not, <laughs> they could not comprehend what I just said. And I was expecting cheers and clapping and it was just silence. And then they started looking around the room, like who just got a big raise. And then they started clapping. I mean, it was, it was really wow. cool. But what that did was we got really, really high quality candidates for mm-hmm. all of our lower level entry level jobs. And, um, all of those people were values aligned. They're all millennials. They they all wanted to work for us. They'd seek us out. It it was really cool. Mm. So I think well, it sounds we were, like that was a tip, yeah. I think we were on the path. Point. Right, we were on the path to being able to be really more selected from the impact, you know, from an impact candidate than somebody just for their job skills. That is such an uh, amazing story of. And it really speaks to how people perhaps are used to being treated in a work environment where not even a living wage is guaranteed to people. And um, so I I think that's, uh, it really speaks well of you in terms of your commitment to making sure that happened because the, uh, I mean, the short term kind of view of let's just make as much money as possible and and banks have that reputation, but you instead chose to look out for the well-being of people, attracted high quality candidates. Even if they come in at the at the entry level, they are likely better candidates for promotion as well. They so oh, kind of ripples through oh course. my goodness. The yeah. the folks we got um we had a opening for our receptionist, you know, arguably the the lowest skilled position in the bank. Um, and we still had an old fashioned receptionist at our main office. Um, but that person handled, you know, a lot of stuff for the whole bank. And the, the person that applied as a young lady, um, uh, that grew up locally went on to, um, the university had a degree in dance. Um, so not a degree that, a lot of businesses are going to be hiring for, but super, super bright. We use both the Wonderlic, um, basically it's a cognitive test, and then the DISC personality profile in our job screening. Mm-hmm. She scored super high on the on the cognitive abilities test. Um, perfect personality, and we promoted her out in six months. So because she was so bright, so enthusiastic, such a good good coworker. We posted that we ran an ad for the job again, got another young lady, daughter of a local physician who had grown up here, gone on to the university, gotten her degree, um, and just fantastic, fantastic coworker, promoted her out in six months. So it's just, you know, it was like our farm team. It was like our feeder system. Yeah, I mean that's great to hear. I it's it's interesting hearing about this path of do you hire for mission alignment or skills and and the way that you kind of tried different things to try to make it work. So I, I think you're really brave to have have uh, boldly declared your mission in a kind of environment where it's not highly regarded necessarily. I mean, as you said, one thing to be in San Francisco or somewhere uh, where those values are, are more appreciated perhaps. Um, 
and uh, so I think that that showed a lot of courage to stand up for your values in that way. Well, one of the things, one of the ways you, you did that too is that you chose to uh, become B Corp certified, the first green bank. And why did you go through that process? Because you were already committed to those values and you, I mean, you went on to win best for community, best for the world awards within, uh, as a B Corp. Why do, why do that? Because it's quite a, a process to become certified. It is a process, but what we've, what we tried to do was influence and educate or educate and influence whichever spin you want to put on it with everything we did. Um, I'm going to do a, a slight digression and then get back to the B Corp. So um, early on, we decided that our headquarters building was going to be lead platinum, no matter what it took to get there. And I had, I had done a good bit of research on the, um, the, uh, the lead program and um, the U S green building council and stuff and so we we did it and we were only the second lead platinum privately owned building in the state of florida and i thought well a lot of my coworkers don't even know what lead is and we're trying to sell developers and builders and building owners on doing lead buildings and we can't even talk about it so why don't we why don't we use that as a platform so we made a a program with the coworkers that if they became lead accredited professionals, which is a lead AP, which you'll see on people's business cards and stuff, that we would give them a thousand dollar raise. You know, that's a thousand dollars every year from now on. And wow. we pay for the prep course. We give them time off to study, whatever it took. So we had three of us, including myself became lead APs. That was it. And so it's like, well, this is a, you know, we need to really push it. So we push it and push it and push it. And at the end, we had, I don't know, 15 or 20 of our coworkers were either lead APs or lead green associates. And I mean, they can talk to you about the the amount of solar you need on your building, um, given your energy consumption. I mean, they can talk about reflectivity of, of roofing. And it was just really cool to see and then to hear them talk to customers and potential customers about it. So part of the B Corp thing was the whole learning process and and teaching our coworkers about it. And then they can become, you know, gospel. They can become missionaries and preach the gospel. And um, so it, it really did work. And my assistant, um, who was another guy that came to us just because of the, the values proposition, um, a really cool guy. He had worked for an NGO, like an outward bound type thing. Um, dual degree in mathematics and theater. Um, super, super bright. Wow. Just, you know. That's an interesting couple. Yeah. Yeah. He just walked <laughs> in the bank one day and said, I want a job here. Nowhere else I'll do anything. And he worked up mm -hmm. to, to be my assistant. He became the B Labs expert. Um, and he put us through the whole process. And we were actually in the process of converting to a legal B Corp, which in Florida was when they passed that statute that you could become a legal B Corp. They excluded banks for some reason. But in 2017, mm -hmm. they went back and, and did a revisionary um, change to the statute and they included banks. So we were actually in the process of converting to a legal B Corp when we sold. Okay, so benefit corporation, just for people listening, if they're not sure oh, yeah. what that means. Sorry, yeah. sorry about that. 
should, yeah, should have clarified. Okay. So, with all this, with all the things that you you did with First Green Bank, what do you think has been the impact of all of that? I hope a lot, because <laughs> um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I look back and I, and and. I just want to make a difference, you know. Um, measurable impact. We we really, really, really tried to start measuring it about five years ago, um, which was difficult with our our core processing system. We had to basically get the code written to, and put identifiers in for people that were values aligned. Um, uh, it, near the end, it started really taking off. When and you can tell when you when you're garnering new customers just because of your values proposition, um, you know you're you're getting out there and you're you're making an impact and you're making a difference. Um, I mean, I've gotten a lot of really really nice letters and emails from my coworkers saying that um, their lives were changed just by working at the bank, and that's probably the most fulfilling you know, confirmation that I could have personally. Again, I don't think mm -hmm. I answered your question, but. No, you did. I, I think those personal stories and how you affect individual lives is really at the heart of impact. I mean, people can talk about big programs in a, it's, it's a bit of a detached thing, but when you're hearing from actual individual people about how that, uh, how it's affected them. I mean, and, and you touched on it earlier when you were talking about the um, the way that people received the living wage program and, and how people came to you because they wanted to work for First Green um, because of the values that you hold. It's, um, yeah, clearly there's, a, there's an impact there. Well, um, I know that you've been involved in a lot of philanthropic organizations you you and your wife cindy founded the art of medicine and you've been involved in a number of other organizations like the public lands acquisition advisory committee and the sunrise association for retarded citizens uh, it's really wide-ranging and i wondered what your views are on the role of philanthropy government and business and how the three kind of intermix hmm. another interesting question um <laughs> we we strongly strongly supported a lot of uh, philanthropic philanthropic um, endeavors from a time and money perspective, and um, I think it's crucial, especially in a in America, especially under the administration that we're suffering under right now at a federal level and at a state level um, in Florida. Republicans have held the legislature for, I think, 22 years and the governor's mansion for 20 years. And they've gutted every program that helps people in the environment that the state ever had. Um, we're 48th or 49th in the country in almost every measure, whether it's, it's care for the mentally ill, care for um, the disabled. Um, and I have a disabled son um, who, who's uh, developmentally delayed, developmentally disabled. Um, so I live it, you know, every day. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it's critical for the private sector to step in and, and help how, whatever that means. Um, we would give our coworkers paid time to do anything uh, philanthropic and unless it was, you know, contrary to our mission or values proposition, which, you know, generally is not. Um, but uh, we also started the first green foundation with concurrent with starting the bank and it was a 501 C three and we funded it with 2% of the bank's net profit every year. Um, and we did a lot of cool stuff with, with that foundation. What did the first green foundation do? What kinds of programs did you fund? Well, initially we, when solar was, um, $8 a, a you know, kilowatt, um, very expensive when it didn't make near as much economic sense. We offered grants to, um, individuals or businesses that would put solar on their buildings. Um, that was our, our first thing. Then we kind of, the price of solar kept going down and, and there wasn't a need for it. And it just started turning into a subsidy, um, a subsidy for, um, upper middle class people that could afford it anyway. <laughs> so we uh, we switched to a program of of partnering with um, public entities to buy public land, and um, we were instrumental in um, a really cool purchase of a of public land, and that was you know near the end there. But the the foundation still exists. We. Um, it's fairly well funded at the present time. We're, we're still working on what's our next move with it. And so you're still involved with that? Yes. With the First Green Foundation? Yes. Yeah, that's great. What are some of the influences that you've had as a leader? Um, I mean, I often ask this because your, your role in all of this has been uh, as leadership. So how have you... How have you had, what influences have you had um, coming along as a, as a developing leader? Um, I keep questioning myself as to whether I really am a leader or not. Um, <laughs> you, you know, I, I kind of a lot of times think, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good manager. And that's just from the perspective of being a taskmaster. And, you know, I don't know if that's such <laughs> a good thing or not. Um, I mean, Leadership inspirations come from a lot of different things, whether it's a a sports figure or or somebody like Yvonne Chouinard. And certainly Yvonne Chouinard has had a a big influence on me and my life and the lives of others. And and when I told him that personally, and I've I've shared the whole story with him, if if you know Yvonne, he definitely doesn't tout his his cred or whatever. And he just kind of looked at me and shrugged it off. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, it's a pretty low key guy. Yeah. Pretty low key guy. But, um, I don't know. Um, a lot of places, um, from my dad who just has to have things perfect. And I, and I certainly picked up that from him to, uh, Yvonne Chouinard to, um, I don't, um, Dean Carnazes, the amazing endurance runner. Um, 
just just a lot of places. Yeah, it's interesting to reflect on that. And um, I I know that um, you sold First Green Bank actually in in 2018 to Seacoast Bank, which is I, I saw described as an old school bank. And in a sale, it can be really challenging to maintain a mission that's been close to your heart and been the focus of what you've been doing. So was it a priority in that sale to build in safeguards and the deal to preserve First Green's mission? Well, there's, I was really interested at the, at the Mo Summit where we met that a big, you know, topic was the, maintaining the mission in your company, whether it's an ongoing operations or selling it and, and what a challenge it is. And I think in banking, it's far more of a challenge than it is in, in, in a, any other kind of business because mm. there's very, very few people doing it. So um, my dream was when we started the bank, knowing that we ultimately had to sell because that's the structure that the bank was founded on. And that was the only structure I knew at the time, you know, to be able to raise mm -hmm. the, the very large amount of capital you have to raise to start a bank. Um, I was hoping we'd sell to a values aligned entity or that somebody that wanted to take our values and implement it company wide, you know, as an example, Wells Fargo could really use that right now. <laughs> Um, so I was, I was thinking that was what was going to happen, but again, there's very, very few players in the, in the impact space and none of the investment bankers get it. So I tell my investment mm -hmm. banker, well, I need you to seek out people that, you know, that are values aligned that will keep the values and let's figure out something to do from there. They don't want to hear that. They don't, they don't care. They don't know. Um, they're looking to make a giant commission and they just want to get a deal done. So that was the mm -hmm. constant battle the whole time we were doing the dance to sell. Um, and so there was no, there's no way to build it into the, to the transaction documents. You, you won't, you'll never sell. Um, mm -hmm. And, and the, like I said, the die was cast that we had to sell. And as far as, because I've been, I've been asked, maligned, um, applauded, you know, every, everything you could think of as to, well, you know, why did you sell? If you're, if you're so unhappy with the sale, why did you sell? Were you forced to sell? And all those kind of questions. And it's a pretty complex um, situation. Um, I mean, in a sense, I was forced to sell. In a sense, I wasn't. But it, it just you know, it was the time and, and I don't know, there was just no way to put together a deal where we could ensure that the values would continue. And it didn't. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a tough scenario. And, and as uh, we both heard at Mo and, and uh, the Mo summit and uh, just recently, and I, I think that it's a, it's an up and coming topic. It's something that people in this realm of, impact focused companies are really talking about as to how can you preserve that? How can you preserve the mission? And it's, uh, there aren't, there certainly uh, are very few um, firms that are, are really intent on helping founders 
carry through with that. So um, yeah, it's a challenging situation. So I thank you for, for being willing to be honest and transparent about that, that it's, uh, it's a tough one, um, especially in a scenario where it's, it's been, uh, there isn't a lot of, there aren't a lot of options. So, yeah. Well, Ken, I'm, you, you just uh, won the ICBA's National Community Banker of the Year Award in 2018. You're now a reality TV star. You were on Yes to the Dress with your wife and daughter for, uh, for your daughter's, finding your daughter's wedding dress. So uh, what's next for you? I mean, what's coming, what's, what's coming up for you, do you think, in the future? I'm definitely going to do another bank. I just, uh, I, I've got to, I've got to do that. I've got to continue the, I got to create a legacy. And um, the next one we do is going to be built to last. We're going to build in every protection we can in the corporate documents that we will never sell. Um, and we're, we're just not gonna, um, and we're going to be much, much deeper values alignment. I, my dream is to do a bank with a bank holding company that can provide the entire capital stack for impact businesses. So if it's, mm. if they're too early in their development stage to be able to get bankable financing, I want to have a, a, you know, a private equity type platform to, to fund them. Um, ultimately it'd be really cool to have an angel fund that could fund them and then graduate, just keep graduating them up to bank financing and then to the point where they're, you know, completely um, viable as a, as a standalone entity without having to give up a lot of equity um, as an owner or founder or whatever. That's kind of my, my dream. And it's a long-term process and, um, you know, building a bank that sells prevents you from long-term thinking. And I, I, I don't want to have that limitation. Yeah, I mean, clearly you're being very thoughtful about how you want to move forward. And this is all, you know, incremental of we're all figuring out how we want to do things and, uh, you know, taking these steps um, in advance will uh, is really going to serve this uh, intention that you have about a, an even more impact-focused company. So that's great to hear. So any more reality TV in your future? <laughs> <laughs> Put it this way, I hope not. <laughs> so it seems like it would be a fun process with your family involved at least. But uh. Well, yet it certainly didn't. We never thought that it would turn into a viral thing. And, um, and it has definitely done that. I think we've had a, a million and a half um, views so far or something it's just um, wow since they put it on social media but um it's yeah That's it was amazing. something we didn't we never expected but it's really funny because i we were walking down the street in nashville a couple of weeks ago and two girls walking the other direction just stopped dead in their tracks and we saw you on tv and it's just, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that's great well can well, i always wrap up these interviews with a rapid round of three questions about impact are you are you game yes 
So, excuse me, the first one is, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? Um, well, the biggest thing is the, the, the business case was proven with us. Um, again, we had, I, I've had, I've been maligned, I've been told, oh, or heard that, that it's been said, well, don't, you know, that whole Ken LaRoe thing, he's just a bunny hugger, just watch, they'll never make any money. Well, we were one of the highest performing banks in the country when we sold by mm -hmm. all financial That's metrics. Great. Um, and my personal philosophy is you, you have to have the financial results or nobody will take you seriously. And, mm -hmm. um, so the, the financial model is proven and, and thank goodness for the millennials and the next couple of generations that are coming up because they really value this stuff and they're going to vote with their wallet. And, and we, we prove that people will vote with their wallet. Yeah. I think that's a really um, valuable point. Thank you. Um, well, the second question is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? In, in the impact space, the most. Yeah, I mean, both, either or both your success and impact. What's, what's something you've done that's really helped you be successful in that? Um, well... I always say that I'm, I'm not that smart. I just work really hard and read a lot. And I, I think that's, that's probably the answer is just, uh, just work really hard and read a lot. And you know, <laughs> what's wrong with either one of them. Right. Um, right. right. It, it's just, I think that's it. I don't know if that was germane to your question, but. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, the last question is, what's one insight or piece of advice you'd share with another business owner who's saying, I want to have more impact. I want to contribute more. What would you say to them? Well, what's, what's the holdup? Um, it, it, it is really hard because you're kind of running a, a for-profit and non-profit at the same time. And I tell people that. I said, you know, look, I got to be transparent about this. It's, it's really hard, but it's really, really fulfilling. And um, you know, what are you going to, I've got three precious grandchildren. The most, the youngest is just three months old. And oh, I, I just dread the day when one of them says, grandpa, what was your generation thinking? <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and I want them to be able to reach the default position of, well, maybe it was grandpa's generation, but at least I know he was trying really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, that's great to hear. Well, Ken, thank you so much for being here on the podcast. I really, really value the things that you've shared about your own process and how you came to do this, this really important impact-focused work and, and the challenges that you've had along the way. So thank you for, for being so transparent and open about uh, how, how things have unfolded. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on your program. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Um, Ken at KenLaRoe.com. Okay. Um, but give me some Great. latitude because I usually only read emails in the evening <laughs> after, <laughs> after I'm done with everything. I've been uh, working with my dad on a bunch of uh, manual labor things. So it's, uh, I'm enjoying my time in the sun. 
that's great. Wonderful. Well, Ken, thank you so much for the work you're doing in the world. Well, thank you so much for, for the work you're doing. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Leave a review if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.